Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. You know, there's so much volatility in this market that I think we're still pretty far from a place where projects are valued on fundamentals, and you know, s- some certainly are. But um, I think NFTs in particular, it's fairly wishy-washy or like uh, you know intangible what can make one project really great and what can't because you're like blending art and technology and community and all these things that are are maybe hard to measure i think there's like an opportunity to just build a really focused publication for vcs which is you know in part what i would say the generalist is doing and i hope like to continue doing but it's obviously a broader audience than just that and i think you could you could hone in a little bit more. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top-tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empires or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones and let's dive in. This week on Media Empires, we're sharing an interview I did with Mario Gabriel, founder of The Generalist, an in-depth newsletter analyzing the world's most successful companies, exploring artificial intelligence, venture capital, and more. This conversation was in early 2023, and since then, The Generalist has grown to over 100,000 subscribers. We discuss the evolution of The Generalist, the tech writing ecosystem, content creation, fundraising, and much more. Without further ado, here's Mario. Mario, welcome to Media Empires. Thanks so much for for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. By way of introduction, Mario, why don't you describe uh, what is the Generalist Empire today? The Generalist Empire today is really a publication. Uh, We send one email on Sundays that aspires to be sort of the most deeply researched, thoughtful piece on a given subject. Um, And so we'll take something like TSMC, the massive semiconductor uh, manufacturer, and try and like analyze it from as many angles as possible, explain why it's important uh, for people in tech to understand, and hopefully make it also entertaining um, and memorable. Yes, and and you do. I'm the lucky uh, beneficiary of the generalist in terms of uh, I'm uh, I, I love reading it, and also you uh, did a great profile of me once that I'm uh, I'm still grateful for and, and get great uh, great responses to. Oh, I'm glad. Zooming out a bit, did you, you know, five years ago, could you have imagined yourself in this, uh, in this, in this position right now, leading the generalist, or how did you sort of, how do you think about that? Yeah, definitely not. Um, I definitely always loved the idea of being a writer. That was sort of the thing that, even as a kid, I was like, ah, oh, this is this feels different to me than any other thing I do. Um, and early in my career, well, hard to call it a career. Uh, I spent a year. Um, writing uh, a novel, writing a first draft of a, of a book. And so uh, I definitely went through the brain space of like, what would it be like to be a, a full-time writer? Uh, but I'd certainly never conceived that of the notion that like I could be a full-time solo writer running a little mini publication and that was 
a viable job and actually also potentially like a promising job. Yeah. And so, so definitely not. I did not know the internet had space for this niche. Yeah. Let, let's kind of map out the like kind of tech writing ecosystem um, and, and kind of where you, you fit into it. There are different approaches, right? Of course, there's like, you know, the, the standard publications like the tech crunches of the world. And then in recent years has been kind of, you know, the independence like Ben Thompson as Stratechery kind of analysis of, you know, big tech and later stage tech. And then, you know, Packy McCormick of the, of the, of the, of the fun, you know, fundraising stuff, you know, kind of, you know, highlighting companies and trends, you know, you covering kind of later stage companies and, and, and trends as well, you know, Lenny on the kind of the career side and then a bunch of others mm-hmm. as well. How do you sort of think about like, the, the tech analysis ecosystem and and where you decided to to situate yourself into it. Yeah, I think the sort of uh, as you as you mentioned, like the granddaddy in this tech world is still sort of like the tech crunches of this. Where you know that's even years later. That was that was the first probably tech publication I ever read, and it's still something I check every day, even if it's not necessarily the space that. Um, has the deepest analysis, they're still like on top of everything. Um, I would say the information over the past few years has sort of like uh, risen to rival that. And and they do maybe go a little deeper in some places, which is, I think, valuable. Um, then I think you have the sort of like solo analyst first wave revolution, which is the, you know, the Ben Thompson and uh, probably Ben Evans, you could say, is in that uh, yeah. realm too. And I think those folks really showed that People care about this. Um, ben Thompson, in a totally, you know, under the radar way, showed that a great business could be built here. That I think, you know, we probably still don't totally understand how good a business it is. Um, and then I think there were probably a lot of folks that, you know, if back in the day we might have thought of in that in that wave, but have since sort of used that media leverage to go be a great investor or go be a great founder. Um, and so, you know, obviously Chris Dixon was someone that people really read widely, um, as was Mark Andreessen, uh, for a long, long time and, and maybe would have been categorized in that sense. But now they're definitely better known for their, their work as investors. Um, and so I think the pandemic really like opened people's eyes as this sort of second wave of analysts and writers came forward that, hey, this is actually a really fun job if you can do it. Um, it can it can be more lucrative than you might imagine. Um, and it provides like a ton of optionality. And so now I think there's this, you know, much broader group maybe of people like Lenny and Packy and many others um, who, uh, to steal Packy's term, like are playing sort of the great online game. Uh, but the the version they're playing is really in the, the court of writing and uh, and media, yeah. and so um, I think they've done an amazing job of like, you know, getting their voice heard and and sort of building um, a brand and a story around themselves. Totally, yeah. You know, one one observation or maybe uh, opinion is that in the last you know five to ten years, um, maybe we haven't had as many <clears throat> aside from this revolution that we're talking about. The the just like standard tech journalism hasn't been as great perhaps because um, a lot of the people who would have been amazing journalists uh, became investors as it was just easier mm-hmm. to become an investor or, you know, um, or start a, start a fund, et cetera. But a, a couple things happened. One is, you know, Ben Thompson proved that you could, you know, make a big business as you described. And I don't know if he's doing 10 million a year or more or, or what, but he, he's doing some, you know, real money. Um, and then people like yourself and Packy proved that you could raise a fund. Um, and, you know, a meaningful fund. 
off your writing. You don't need to go work at a firm or kind of sacrifice your writing. Maybe if those trends continue, we'll have great tech analysis at, at scale. I, I hope so. Yeah, I think you're totally right that I do think there's a good part of it that is a reaction to existing tech news that, you know, you know, quote unquote, mainstream media, um, the stories they like to tell are pre predominantly about um, either occasionally a really exciting thing, but more often than not sort of like scandal and um, text less uh, positive elements. And those are good stories to, to probably tell in some respect. But I do think that many of the people in tech probably felt some frustration that you're like, yeah, okay, we ha can have the millionth article about Facebook and there is something that we should be paying attention to there. But also we could be paying attention to like this incredible business that's being built out of thin air and is totally changing the way we're handling, you know, hospital records or financial um, systems and so on and so forth. Um, and so I do think that, you know, this new wave is sort of like it, default optimistic, I think, versus mainstream is almost default pessimistic. Yeah. And there are, there are downsides in both cases, but um, I think that is a big difference. Totally. And, and, and just to close the loop on the previous point, I, I remembered what I was going to say, which is not only is like, you can do writing and, and investing, you can make it work, but also it's like an accelerant to, to investing. Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, like Packy in 2019, you know, kind of before he started, it's unclear what VC firms would, would have hired him. Now he's a really talented guy. He's got great experience, of course, just hard to get VC jobs at, at a senior level. And yet now, you know, after building, um, you know, his, uh, you know, not boring empire, it's like what VC firm wouldn't hire him, right? I mean, he's just accelerated his career more so than, you know, spending a decade, perhaps the traditional way could, could have done for him. A hundred percent. Yeah. VC is such a tricky industry to recruit into for lots of like structural and idiosyncratic reasons, right? Like it's so much about matching with the partners, but then also there's like, you know, so many more people who want to do it than spots that are available. And so even someone who is super talented and obviously clever like Packy, like, yeah, it would be difficult for him to stand out. But now he has shown the universe, you know, the, the world his superpower. And, you know, once the superpower becomes obvious to everyone, then everyone wants you on their team, right? Yeah. Have you considered um, kind of scaling into like a publication of, of, of sorts? How do, how do you think about the trade-offs there? Yeah, I think we'll definitely scale um, and add sort of more writers and analysts. Um, the the trade-off is, I think, similar to like any small business that, that thinks about becoming larger. It's like, uh, you know, I have to learn how to be a bit of a manager, which is not something I've had to do much in my, my career and, you know, hopefully mentor people to have greater careers than I do um, in an aspirational way. Um, two, you know, I have total control over the output of content we put out right now. And, um, you know, I do think there's an element where you have to learn to be at least happy with sort of 90% the way you exactly want it uh, and, you know, leave space for people to surprise you and for you to, yourself to be wrong. Um, and then the upside is obviously that, like, this is a weird business right now because there's this massive one-person bottleneck, right? Like venture firms talk about key man risk, but a creator business has like the most key man risk. Um, and so the more that I can sort of start to shift some of that out um, 
and also add skills that I don't have. Like I'm certainly not an expert in a lot of spaces that I'm sure people would love to learn more about uh, via the generalist. And so I think that's something uh, for us to like think about over the next less than a year, you know, really like couple quarters. Yeah, no, that makes sense. If TechCrunch were started in, in 2022, um, and I, I'm using TechCrunch as a metaphor for like, you know, uh, category defining, you know, industry publication. Yeah. W- what might it look like? Well, definitely would start on Substack, I think. Um, they probably would leverage like Twitter threads and TikTok for distribution and signups. I think they would be like multi-product way faster than we think of today. Like you would probably add a podcast within the first two years and like lean really heavily on that to, you know, extract clips from and uh, used to drive sort of social engagement. Um, You probably would like uh, put the creator at the forefront in a different way. You know, I think Workweek is an interesting model there, the way that they've sort of like bundled a bunch of personalities together under one publication. Yeah. That feels like a version of the future uh, to me and and what TechCrunch would look like. And you would obviously want to try and own email as a channel because that is just like a much more direct way to own your audience. And so, yeah, I think you would probably care less about having the destination website and more about like, do I have a direct relationship with all of these, these people? Yeah. No, that, that, those are some great responses. You know, as we mentioned, you're, you're part of this early wave, really pioneering this, this, this category. And a lot of people, um, you know, look up to your journey. And, and one thing I really appreciate about your journey is that you've, you've built in public, you know, starting from the very beginning with, uh, I think it was like 62 page deck. Yes. Right. Inclusive of the, you know, early on the, the Disney diagram for what this could be. Trace us through your evolution building the generalist in terms of you know some of the things you tried that worked obviously some of the things you tried that 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 you decided to change um, some of the things you decided to not not pursue because it didn't fit you or you just didn't think it made much sense. What, what, why don't you kind of walk us through some of the some of the learnings you've had along the way? Yeah, I think you know it may prove to be true that the lesson of my whole life is to do less and focus more. Like, you know, that is a lesson I have never been able to stop learning. Um, And (laughs) yeah, Um, and it's called the generalist for a reason is like, you know, I didn't I couldn't pick I couldn't specialize. And so the generalist successes and failures, I think, have been as a result of that in many respects. We tried a lot. Some of them hit and we wouldn't have necessarily found those hits if we hadn't been willing to experiment. But on the other hand, like certainly I am a. you know, a very lossy machine, like a lot of heat gets expended um, that goes out into the universe. Um, and so when when I first started out, uh, we tried a bunch of different sort of style of newsletters. And really, I thought of it as like layering each of them together to sort of tell this journey from idea to IPO. So we had RFS 100, which was like startup ideas, which I think is maybe how you and I first connected, um, yeah, which is yeah. funny to think about. And then we had something called The Miss, which was really about asking investors what what uh, investment they had missed on, so on and so forth. Like there were sort of four or five of these. And rather than pick one, I my initial instinct was like, okay, and we'll eventually do more. <laughs> um, but what I ultimately realized was that actually the, the thing that was happening on Sunday, uh, where I would send more of my thoughts and try and analyze an opportunity, a space, a market, a company, um, 
was where there was like most momentum and most differentiation. It's ultimately, I think, fairly hard to do that compared to a lot of other types of content. And so it was um, more uh, straightforward to differentiate the generalist in that respect. Um, and so really leaning into that made a huge difference. Um, and, and that was definitely the right move. Uh, we also experimented a ton with collaborations. So, um, you know, we did something called the S1 Club where we would get a group together to analyze S1s. Again, I think that was really helpful in uh, trying different channels for distribution because you get to leverage different people's audiences. You also get to meet a bunch of people and learn from these people. I learned a huge amount, like having to go through the practice, the structured practice of analyzing public companies uh, through these filings, which was something I had not had to do throughout my career. Um, and so there were all these like little lessons, but it ultimately led us to the place of like, okay, what the generalist really should be at its core, I think, is uh, aspirationally the most thoughtful tech publication on the planet. And like thoughtful means deep, it means deeply researched, it means, you know, elegantly written, um, and it means sort of like put together in this grander narrative that can hopefully stay with the reader for a long time. And so kind of finding that framing and building around that was was important. And then there's been a bunch of stuff, you know, like more on the business model side that we can talk through that were lessons for sure, um, that were less about the content. Yeah. Let's first focus on the content, then we'll get to the business model. So how did you kind of like, you know, think about sort of the cadence of your kind of, you know, the touch points and relationship with the, with your reader, right? Like you have the, you know, the, the Sunday, um, you know, um, we, but then you also have, you know, the community, um, but you also could do more frequently if you wanted, um, you know, shorter, um, stuff, even still, you know, thoughtful. Um, but you, you've decided not to do that. Maybe walk us through some of your decisions on like how you just thought about, what kind of touch point you wanted with your, your reader on cadence or the type of engagement and, and some of the stuff you've done in communities is, is, is pretty interesting. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, totally. I think cadence was in many respects a function of bandwidth. It was like, okay, we found this thing that works and it is an absolute wall-to-wall -wall sprint for me to be able to do that every week, <laughs> um, to, to put out a piece of, of that length. And so it became sort of tricky to imagine doing anything beyond that. Now that we have a little bit more bandwidth, I think we are starting to think about, okay, where, where could there be another touch point? And like, what does this publication, should it be covering that, that it isn't already? And I think we've experimented with a few formats there over the past year that I'm excited to like potentially lean into. I think there'll be versions of it that we, that we play around with and see if there's um, something to them. Uh, the community has definitely been like a, a sneaky superpower, I would say, where, um, you know, just bringing a group of impressive, thoughtful people together and we end up like curating it pretty, pretty carefully and uh, really trying to make sure that people are, are bought in when they come in um, can just scale in a way that your own time obviously cannot. And so, you know, I, I had a really lovely note from someone just last week about like how powerful this has been for them uh, in their career. And seeing those sort of things are just, you know, hugely rewarding. And I think ultimately benefit the, the core business because you just have this sort of like halo of goodwill and uh, totally. nice things happening uh, and sort of serendipity 
that can open up a lot. I mean, obviously, on deck is like a, a, a kind of uh, huge case in point of, of that. Um, but totally. that has been very helpful for sure. And, and give us the, the punchline of, of how you think about your community in terms of like, what's the litmus test to determine whether, you know, this person who uh, should get in to what's the ask that you make of each, each community member to, you know, how do you engage your, your community more broadly? Yeah, in general, I would say like the real bar for folks is really that they have a demonstrated interest in tech and they show a desire to be thoughtful in the application. You know, cool. so if you at least spend a bit of effort um, and, you know, show a desire to learn and have shown at least some, you know, clues that this is something you're actually passionate about, uh, we always sort of try and give folks a shot at least. Uh, it ends up, I think, being in many cases like a more senior audience than many other communities. Um, and so it's you don't have to reach a lot for like that depth of to see that demonstration. And then in terms of what we ask of folks, like we really just try and ask them to be present in some form, whether that's um, joining sort of our monthly introductions that we do, like matching people in the community, coming to one of the events we host, um, or like showing up in the chat. But there's also sort of, I think, a little bit of recognition that because this is maybe a slightly more senior audience, like you don't get as much like live chat vibe. You know, it's like not people who are necessarily going to be yeah. hopping in throughout their day to like chat on the news. They've got stuff to do and uh, have responsibilities. But hopefully when they do come in, they can be like, you know, really present and, and thoughtful in the way that they all have the capacity to be, certainly. Yeah. Do you foresee a world where you're um, like putting out a daily or, or how do you, how do you see the, you know, as your bandwidth opens up, like, or a year from now, what could you imagine the content, you know, looking like? Yeah, definitely have like more ideas than I know what to do with them. And it's really just like the question of, oh, which one of these should I, should I make sure we focus on? I think there's definitely a world in which we could do a daily and I would personally find that like very exciting. Um, I like the sort of daily newsletter format. And I think the sort of general vibe and brand of the generalist could like uh, lend itself to something in that space. I think more immediately, there are just a bunch of sort of uh, content series that we could roll out on a more uh, regular basis that are sort of adding to that fundamental thesis about, you know, thoughtful tech analysis, but maybe even go a layer deeper on the more practical side. So we've done, you know, a series called uh, uh, The Wisdom List, where we ask, you know, great founders uh, for their sort of wisdom they've learned of building a business. Um, and I think there's something like really interesting there that I want to try and lean into, uh, because I think if you could create a really great library of all of these great founders' thoughts, like that would be really valuable for someone just starting a company. Totally. And there are probably different versions of that that uh, you could do whether it's with investors or certain types of operators and so on and so forth. Um, and so that's something I'd like to play around with in the new year, hopefully. That, that's really interesting. Yeah, there's lots of uh, ideas. One idea I have for, for you, anyone who's listening, um, and, and, and maybe I'll pursue it if I ever get the time to do it, but is um, something around like a series around navigating the idea maze. You know, we have mm. um, so many people who that's a great have, idea. have spent a lot of time going deep on spaces, find, you know, you know, finding where the bodies are buried, so to speak. Um, and, and we don't learn from that, you know, mm -hmm. they just take that knowledge with them and then other people go, you know, find the same dead bodies, et cetera. And yes. so 
you know, you can imagine almost like a wiki of like, hey, you're exploring something in healthcare. Here are the, you know, like all the other people who've explored all these other ideas and here's what they've learned. That's such a good idea. I hope you do that. Yeah. Um, uh, likewise, it, it, it should exist. Um, let's, um, let's talk about the business model. Um, so you've, you've evolved your business model. You were, um, I believe you were, you were paywalled for a bit and then, and then you opened up and I know you've tried a bunch of other things as well. Why don't you talk about some of the learnings there? Yeah. So the initial version was, uh, paywalling the content and the community. And so we basically said, uh, you know, if you're a paying subscriber, you get, uh, four weeks, uh, you know, four, four pieces a month. Whereas if you're a free subscriber, you get two. Um, and that was good. I mean, it definitely surpassed my hopes for what we would hit in the first year. But when I sort of like spent the time to model out what a different model would be, a sponsorship model, it became pretty clear that like, uh, you know, it could be four or five times better if I was doing it the other way. And also I wouldn't be capping my growth by sort of like giving these other pieces chance to... Uh, circulate and and um, be shared more widely, and so um, at the start of this year, we basically moved to a model where uh, the community was the only thing behind a paywall. Um, the community became more expensive, although everyone who had the initial plan got to keep their pricing, um, and all the content became free and ad sponsored or sponsors sponsor supported, um, and it was something we were really stressed about and I was really nervous about. I was like, oh man, are we going to, you know, basically lose all the good work we did and lose all of the subscription revenue um, before we have properly sort of vetted the ad approach entirely? Um, and in reality, what we discovered was that uh, there was basically zero uh, subscription loss. We had two people, I think, over a course of a quarter say, hey, uh, actually, could I have a refund? And then we had many more people sign up for the first time to this community at the at the higher price point. And so it ended up being a net uh, significant win on the subscription side. And then also on top of that, like obviously much better on the sponsorship side, which went from zero to being now the majority of the business. Um, and so that was like definitely a lesson that I think just realizing which businesses you know, work best for a subscription model and which maybe work best from a sponsorship perspective. Um, and being like, you know, if, if in the future we do launch a subscription tier for more content, like thinking through what are the things that actually have a chance of converting effectively there to, to really make that work. Yeah. And, and let's go deeper there in terms of, um, what, what is the right framework for thinking about, you know, which businesses make most sense for a subscription versus uh, sponsorship? Yeah, I think subscription businesses that work really well um, tend to be pretty niche um, and also very actionable. Uh, I think you want something where you're appealing to a relatively uh, high spending niche that will spend on something that gives them an advantage, ideally in their job, um, because then you can also expense it. And so I think Lenny's newsletter is like the perfect example of that, right? Like he really nailed targeting the sort of like product worker. Now, you know, maybe there are some folks that are more ops or engineering or whatever you want to say, but really the product lens, super practical, super actionable. And like, I, I think most companies would consider it a no brainer if you wanted to expense it because it's obviously educational and beneficial from a networking perspective. Um, so I think that's a, a classic like, 
great subscription business. Um, so that's a great subscription business and a sponsorship business is more a hey, broader, l- maybe less practical, more, more uh, analysis. Yeah, I think exactly like, you know, a broader audience, um, focused, uh, that in, on topics that are maybe a little bit less actionable. Uh, I think it works extremely well for products like the generalist or not boring or acquired on the podcast side where that audience also is like a really valuable audience. You know, it's this, uh, tends to be a, a high earning, um, highly educated group. And so you have the ability to also, um, leverage that effectively. We, we talked about the, uh, you Packy, you know, um, Ben kind of this early wave of, of, of writers and creators. Let's pretend that we were creating a, uh, a fund for the next generation perhaps and saying, Hey, what's our request for like, where's the white space? You know, what, one, you know, framework could be to say, Hey, just go more niche. Like who's the, the Lenny for sales or, you know, Lenny for, um, uh, you know, engineering or, you know, HR, um, you know, on a position basis, you could say, Hey, who's the Mario Packy, but for like FinTech or healthcare, like just go, you know, that, that's one way, um, to spin it. And I'm actually, you know, potentially interested in like the, you know, funding these people. I, I think there's, there's a real opportunity there. Um, what are, what are you most excited about? Or, or if you were like, you know, giving advice for where, where there's white space on the fun side specifically, no, no, no. In terms of like for, uh, up and coming content creators, like mm. where, where, where should they carve out, you know, the, the white space or their niche or like, what are the opportunities? Cause it's hard to do what, what you're doing or what Packy's doing because you guys are already doing it and, and at a high level and you've been doing it for a while. Right. Yeah, I think that's maybe true. Although, you know, we've only been doing it a couple of years. <laughs> um, I'm sure, you know, someone could catch us. Um, and, uh, you know, Ben Thompson was obviously doing it for ages before us. And, and maybe we would have felt like, oh, gosh, is there, do we need another one? Ultimately, I yeah. think you're right that, like, you, people can segment in all these different ways and offer things that are a bit different and have different tones that as tech just continues to eat culture, you know, as long as that continues, there will probably be a good amount of space to go around. Um, I think one space that like I'd be really interested in is sort of the generalist style or not boring style or, you know, these deep dives via video, uh, YouTube. Like I, I think like you get them occasionally, but not with much regularity. And the quality is often very, very variable. Um, I think it would be really cool if someone had the capacity to sort of say like, yeah, let me take a subject like Stripe or whatever it is and really pull something of like really high quality together, um, for an audience. Uh, so, so that would be exciting, I think. And then I think there's like an opportunity to just build a really focused publication for VCs, um, which is, you know, in part what I would say the generalist is doing and I hope like to consider continue doing, but it's obviously a broader audience than just that. And I think you could, you could hone in a little bit more. Yeah. Let, let, let's pull that thread for, for a second. Um, cause you know, some people listening might, might be interested in that. Like what is stuff that you're, you're not doing or not, not yet do, or doing, um, that like, you know, something focused on VCs m- might, might have. Yeah. I think like you could get really tactical about, um, you know, fun structure things that everyone should know or, you know, like fundraising mistakes for a first fund or, you know, sharing sample decks um, from VCs that raised a a fund in a certain period of time. Like there's a huge amount of closed knowledge in that world. Um, And a lot of it is like 
locked up in institutions that are like super, super entrenched and have, you know, little reason to share. They're very down to share about company building because that's yeah. the audience they want to appeal to. Um, but they're much less interested in sharing um, sort of venture specific information. And the people that theoretically should be interested in that, the fund to funds and so on, like they're definitely not playing that game. Um, totally. And so I do think there's like, stuff to be done there. I think what Ryan Hoover is doing with um, Signature Block, which is his um, new Substack, I think is like really smart and like sort of in that lens as, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, but I think that audience in general is like very served in terms of broad tech news, but not particularly served when it comes to like more tactical, actionable stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, this is, you know, slightly different. You know, Harry's Stebbings podcast took off for for a reason mm -hmm. or for a number of reasons, and one of which yeah. is that it interviewed an, uh, you know uh, VCs on to on topics they weren't getting interviewed on as much, perhaps, or or maybe they weren't getting interviewed as much, and and there's opportunity to go even more. You know, it's it's largely VCs trying to appeal to to founders, but if mm -hmm. if content targeted towards other VCs about the mechanics of venture, this kind of thing, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, totally, and I think to your point, like you could see a version of that that would really work in sales, for example, um, or, you know, many of these other verticals uh, where there is all this sort of endless knowledge that maybe doesn't, uh, doesn't get covered by a mainstream publication for obvious reasons, but could like really win a niche audience very effectively. Totally. Speaking of, uh, of funds of fundraising, the, um, you, you, you raised a fund. Um, did you uh, work with kind of traditional institutions or, or what can other creators learn about from your fundraising process um, in terms of, uh, you know, how you put it together? Yeah, I think um, in some respects, I was very lucky in terms of timing. So uh, the market had definitely turned and, and wasn't as hot as 2021, but it also wasn't as brutal as sort of summer and fall. So I, I think I closed most of it by uh, I want to say April or early May. Um, and so that, that was, uh, certainly useful, but beyond that, I think really leaning into where your unique strength is. And I think a content creator strength, or at least like in my case is, um, you know, if you look at the venture life cycle, you kind of have like sourcing, evaluation, winning, uh, support and exiting. For for me, the places where I think a generalist model actually like has some sort of superpower is like the winning and the support. Like we should, I can usually get into deals that someone who didn't have this newsletter and had my exact background wouldn't be able to. Like that was me a few years ago, so I I know very well. <laughs> um, and then uh, on the support side, like because of the unique set of skills you have or the distribution you've built, you have this support that like a traditional fund usually doesn't um, or not in exactly the same sense. And so I think sort of like making that story clear and really like drawing that thread out for people um, to explain like what the impact is and how you've done it uh, makes a big difference. Then there are a bunch of things, you know, more pragmatically, like I think it's a great idea to try and start as a scout for some of these funds. Uh, it's a great way to sort of like get in the motion, start to build the network, start to see what your taste is like, um, and have hopefully at least a little bit of a track record to show to people. Um, and then beyond that, I think it really comes down to uh, 
what you want to try and and do like is this something you're really excited to take seriously is it something that you'd be very happy if you raised sort of like a tiny 500k fund and like that's just fun to do um or do you really want to institutionalize it so um those are also i think sort of important considerations yeah so and then it also goes to like as you're building out this empire there's a number of ways that you could structure it in terms of how you want to spend your time right like you could say, hey, I'm going to focus now on the investing stuff and bring in you know, a bunch of writers. You could say the opposite. I'm going to focus on on the writing still, use it as as the asset and bring in some support on the investing side and and not to mention other adjacent business models um, that you're doing and, and plan to do in the future. H- how do you think about for like, where is the sweet spot for how, how you divide your time and how you, how you want to be dividing it? Yeah, I think uh, the it's tricky because obviously you are in theory competing against people who spend 100% of their time on the venture world or maybe on the writing world. Um, But I think you just have to look for places where there's sort of constructive synchronization between those two things. And so with writing uh, about private markets, there's that's like often easy to do. Um, It may be that, you know, there's a company I'm really interested in, or I've seen a bunch of companies in a certain space on the investing side that I think is intriguing, but don't feel like I know enough about. And then that can be like, one, an interesting signal that there's something in the zeitgeist around this space that may be worth writing about. And two, sort of an incentive for me to say, okay, let's go really deep. And like, let's try and develop a thesis um, about what could win here, or like, why this type of business seems to be doing well. Um, And then, you know, the reverse happens too, where you are often with with every piece in some respect putting a little bit of a signal out to the world of like here's how i think and here's what i think is interesting right now and so on and so forth and so that often invites discussions with people um that can be fruitful from a fundraising perspective but net net like there's no uh great like magical solution i found it still ends up i, I being having some tension there but I'll, I'll say I've been surprised by how seamlessly it has fit together so far. Like I had pretty high hopes and was excited about it, but I was like, you know, reflecting on it recently, I was like, it's actually felt pretty good, like even better than I yeah. had sort of hoped. So I hope that continues, but we'll see. Totally. And, and you, you work with your, with your partner, which is, which is awesome. And I do. And my, my parents actually started a business together too. So I, I love yeah, the idea. Right. Um, how do you divide and conquer or like, what's the best use of, of, of her time? Does she like run the community or like what, what is the sponsorships? Like what is, what is the, how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, that was probably like the best decision I made uh, this year um, and that we made. Uh, so we'd been thinking about it for a while and really like the timing aligned. We had thought through all the different angles. Um, and I think going into it, we had a pretty clear sense that like, Actually, the things I really don't want to do are things she really enjoys doing and, and vice versa. Ali is like very, very masterful, in my opinion, in terms of like operations, product, man, uh, project management sort of stuff, like keeping the wheels turning on all of these different things that are being juggled simultaneously, whether that's like making sure our podcast is produced or shipping uh, like an impro- a big like improvement to the site that we want to get done or like a new community initiative. Like uh, I am not the most pragmatic or like tactical in that sense. I can sort of be like, I think this is a good idea and talk through the strategy of it. But when it comes down to execution, I'm like, ah, oh, am I really the one who's going to be really meticulous and think through all the details? Um, like there was an interesting case recently where 
we've been thinking about this like potential strategic move. And I was like, I think that should be relatively straightforward. Uh, and we should just like go after it. And that's like my initial instinct. And Ali was like, yes, but like, let's take a look at things. And I, after she had like analyzed this, I I realized just, just how much I had overlooked, um, and how many pieces, um, this process had to it. And I think between the two of us, there's sort of like a, a very, very clear swim lanes and very nice, like yin yang. Yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. Sounds like a, a great, a great partnership. Maybe in closing here, I'm, I'm curious to ask you about your uh, NFT experiment, going back to different business models and community models. Yeah. Um, what did you learn from that experiment? And, uh, you know, what, what can other creators learn from it as well? Yeah, I would say it was lucky that the reason I wanted to do it was not for financial reasons, but more to experiment with the technology and see what can be done from like a narrative storytelling perspective. And that was good because the market has obviously totally cratered for this. Um, And so I think it is very hard uh, to build a business around it at the moment. Um, and, And honestly, like even just the model for nfts are really closer i would say at the moment to crowdfunding than like a business right you're really like funding development for a project up front rather than like figuring out a model that is self-sustaining um and trying to do that is really challenging like i've spent a bunch of time thinking through okay how do you transition from this communal effervescence that leads to you know, a sort of mandate financially to try and do your roadmap into something that is, yeah, can be self-run and and can earn money. And some of these projects obviously have done it, like uh, those in the, that really did it in the peak of the bull market have maybe just raised so much that they can now sort of experiment with brand building exercises and things like that, that maybe you can make a merch store work or an experience or a game or whatever. Um, But starting from a lower base, I think it, you know, those don't necessarily work out as well. So the lessons for us have been, I would say, one, like NFTs are an amazing tool for shortcutting, uh, like productive tribalism, you could say, um, you know, people really bond over it in a way that I didn't fully grasp from the outside, even as someone who had like bought a couple and, you know, studied it, like people really just like, identify fast with it. And that's interesting um, because it starts to, you know, as we've seen, become your face across the internet. Um, Two, I would say, I really realized that this is a job that has a heavy amount of investor relations in a way that I didn't imagine early on. You know, it's very, very different having a community of people who have invested in this asset, in this little uh, token effectively, of their of their kinship um because they're trying to protect their investment in a way that is different than just joining a community where you're investing in yourself um and you don't see you know your value tick up and down in a live sense and so that's you know i would say a second lesson and then i think a third is just that like crypto is really uh tricky and so much of it is about timing uh you know there's so much volatility in this market that I think we're still pretty far from a place where projects are valued on fundamentals and, you know, some certainly are, but um, I think NFTs in particular, it's 
fairly wishy-washy or like, uh, you know, intangible what can make one project really great and what can't because you're like blending art and technology and community and all these things that are, are maybe hard to measure. And then the final thing I would say is just like, it has been really fun in many instances. It's been really cool to experiment with this technology to see what you can do um, and see how it can be used like to create different types of media. So like we've been with our community creating effectively like this massive crowdsourced lore where, you know, people are writing definitions for different parts of the world that we've built um, and telling stories and adding to their foxes as characters. Um, and that's been like a really interesting thing to think through, you know, what it could become in the future with projects like this, you know, what is the version 10 years from now with better infrastructure maybe look like in terms of a final media piece. Yeah, no, fascinating. You know, you've grown to how many subscribers now? Uh, I think we're at 64,000 right now. 64,000. It's a very impressive amount in just a couple of years. Is there anything non-obvious or surprising in retrospect that you found that's that's led to that? You know, one thing I appreciate about you is that you're not just someone who makes great content. You're also someone who's great at community. It's hard to find people who do both. And it feels like, you know, it's not just you write great content and let it sit, but you also like have to get the right people involved, um, you know, be connecting with, with a lot of people. Um, you know, you mentioned the partnerships early on in terms of the, the community created content, but anything else non-obvious or surprising that's, that's really contributed to your growth? You know, I think the, the biggest lesson for me was like, nothing is as scary as you make it out to be in your own mind. I was so stressed to potentially take the jump and, you know, go full time on the generalist. And there've been lots of minor versions of that throughout the journey of like, oh, should I even dare to reach out to this person to see if I could interview them? Or, you know, should I dare to make this move for the business? Cause I think it's the better business model. And, you know, the reality is that, uh, for the most part, these are, are actually very low stakes in hindsight, uh, hopefully. Yeah. And, um, you, I, I do think for, for them again, for the most part, you are rewarded for your, your bravery and, uh, your audacity to, to try things and people like a trier for the most part, you know, if you're willing to be vulnerable and, and give your best shot and, uh, really put it out on the line. Like, you know, I, I tend to think those things get rewarded, um, in the fullness of time. So for those who are considering one of these jumps, uh, you know, certainly think through it and be thoughtful, but like also don't, don't talk yourself out of it. Uh, it's not as scary as you might imagine. That's a great place to end, end this podcast. Uh, Mario, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. You're, you're Michael Jordan playing in the flu game, uh, you know, coming on. <laughs> You've dropped a lot of knowledge here, and I re really appreciate it. Oh, it's so lovely. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you again soon, I hope. Awesome. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. 
That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.